0: Welcome to Common Taste. This is a podcast where we create and discuss homebrew content for tabletop RPGs. A fantastic, fantastical world where I make the illogical logical. I'm Ian Woodworth and I'm joined by my co-host James Daly. And today we are continuing our talk about Hollywood monsters. Yay, spooky season. And while today's monster is very Halloween-ish, the movie it comes from is definitely a Christmas
1: movie. Yeah, absolutely. A Christmas movie. Yeah.
0: So, in and case, you know, it's not Nightmare Before Christmas. No, because Nightmare Before Christmas is a Halloween movie. It's also a Christmas
1: movie. It's a Halloween movie. The Oogie Boogie would be an amazing person to do a thing. on. We might we need to save that for next year.
0: We yeah, we'll <laughs> we'll keep that in the back pocket. But uh, <laughs> but anyway, the critters that we're gonna be talking about today, let just go ahead and get it out here. Yeah, we're talking about gremlins. All right, because again, this was another movie that I hadn't watched in ever. Yeah. And so, in my suddenly found downtime, I'm going to continue to be cryptic about this. Uh, In my suddenly found downtime, I made an opportunity to watch it so that we could talk about this. Ian went full 80s nostalgia. Well, it's hard to have 80s nostalgia (laughs) when you're born in the middle of 89.
1: Just throwing that out oh, there. Oh, you know what well, I mean. And while Ian doesn't want to say where his downtime came from, I'm just saying, you know, another 80s, 90s movie. He may have been writing a book. There may have been some ankle breaking. We don't want to say exactly what happened, but... My
0: ankles are fine, James. <laughs> oh, okay.
1: You didn't run across Kathy Bates? No, not uh-huh. today. Okay. Never mind then. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so,
0: Gremlins. Yeah. That movie is incredibly hard to find without paying a lot of money for.
1: I can see that. Um, Um, It's not one of the more popular streaming choices, but yet it's a weird cult classic in its own right. So I ended up having to rent...
0: Actually, I think we bought it on uh, Amazon Prime. Okay. Because the only other streaming service that I could find that had it was Hulu, but you have to have the $75 a month Hulu TV package. Because it's through TBS.
1: Ew. And no, we are not sponsored by either Amazon or Hulu. So no. If they don't want to throw dollars our way, we would.
0: <laughs> this is me kvetching about having to give them money. Yeah. So yes. <laughs> Although apparently it's also on HBO Max, oh. but we don't have access to HBO Max anymore. Gotcha. Because my father-in-law stopped paying for HBO. Understandable. Yeah. Well, we watched the things that we wanted to watch. Yeah. And-
1: We decided we weren't getting our money's worth out of it anymore, so... Yeah, no, I mean, if they're not providing service. But yeah, no, Gremlins is definitely, like I said, it's one of those cult 80s movies. I think Gremlins 2 may have came out in 90 or 92. I think it was in 90. I am slightly more familiar with Gremlins 2 than I am with the original, but I have watched both of them, though. It was many, 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 many moons ago.
0: I mean, this isn't a movie review yeah, podcast, but right. the movie itself wasn't terribly good. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the circumstances were very contrived. The tragic backstory for the female love interest was very just out of left field. Uh. But going to go ahead and. Disclaim at the beginning this time, instead of doing it halfway through the episode, (laughs) there will be spoilers for
1: this 40-year-old movie. That'll happen.
0: Just accept it.
1: Yeah. This said, again, while a questionable B-movie, definitely a cult classic, I don't want to say the main character, but definitely one of the main protagonists of the film is this very memorable creature, the Mogwai, which later also becomes Gremlins. And this has the option to become... Kind of a fun and ferocious, relatively, I'm thinking, low-CR monsters that you can just kind of just throw masses of on the table and kind of catch a party from left field, I think.
0: Yeah, and I think you're right. This would make a very good premise for a low-level one-shot. Oh, yeah. For like a level one, two, three, one-shot You could even accentuate the lethality of it because the gremlins were actively homicidal. Oh, yeah. But you could ramp up the lethality of it and treat this as sort of a funnel scenario for level zero characters at the beginning of a campaign. Okay, Especially in like an OSR sort of game setting where everybody starts off with like four or five characters and you just... (laughs) run them through the meat grinder i like it and whatever character survives to the end that's the character you play the campaign
1: with no i like that also with this too while these can be technically low level as these creatures you know kind of matured a bit or i mean they did have learning ability they do become slightly more and more insidious and they do remind me a bit of kobolds and so you could easily ramp these up And if you had these as the start of a hook for a storyline and they kind of had whatever your big bad is and they are intentionally mass producing these things and we will get into that here in a bit and they are just using them as wave after wave of cannon fodder but you have more and more kind of sinister or masses where they're laying traps they're setting up, things like that for your party to come across in a dungeon, you could probably still take these into mid-level fairly well. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned that because that was
0: my first thought too, was if you were going to run these just using a monster straight out of the book, kobolds fit the bill oh, perfectly. Oh, absolutely, yes. Especially whenever you take into account things like the story of Tucker's kobolds. Yeah. You know, their ingenuity, their use of tools... You know, just the masses, that whole pack tactics oh, yeah. sort of feel that they have, the slapstick <laughs> yes. of everything. Yes. You know, they just fit kobolds so very well. Right. And, you know, there are certain physical characteristics that also carry across, you know, the sharp teeth, the scaly skin, all of that. I mean, they are distinctly different in appearance, oh, but absolutely. but you know, the similarities are there.
1: Oh, absolutely, yes. So I think kind of going in an overview, so we've talked about these kind of homicidal things, you know, they come from the mogui, which is like this soft teddy bear looking thing that, that's fairly sweet. You've probably heard the thing, you know, you can't get them wet, you're not supposed to feed them after midnight, and you're supposed to keep them out of sunlight too. And so going over these basic rules, and again, seeing this mogui, which is this kind of, like I said, this cute little cuddly teddy bear looking thing. I'm thinking this would be a really fun thing for your party to come across if you were in the Shadowfell. Because again, everything is grim, it's dark, it's very depressing. And then your party comes across this sweet, fluffy, bright thing that's happy. So your party takes it, and then at this point, does it become like an NPC follower? Do they kind of keep it as a pet? So there's this whole thing, because again, feeding it after midnight is what turns it into the evil monster thing so i'm thinking you have this cute cuddly thing that your party's taking along keeping with it and you have to start rolling like maybe persuasion checks or animal handling checks because it's giving everybody like these puppy eyes asking for food because it's late at night and it's hungry and i know me personally i'm a sucker for cute puppy dog eyes i often say that your lunch can have about half the calories it normally would if you share it with a bulldog
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah and this would be also, a great way for uh, which feat is it? The keen mind feat, oh, yeah. where you always know, you know how many hours to sunrise and sunset, so you can accurately tell what time, time it is. is. Yes, at all times, and so that would be the person who. You put in charge of the Mogwai so that, you know, you don't feed it between midnight and sunrise. Yeah. And so I like that idea that throwing it into the Shadowfell because it would be something that would pique the party's interest because it's something that's not supposed to be there. Right. It seems like it very much does not belong. Right. And because the Shadowfell is one of these parallel planes, time moves differently there. Oh, yeah. Especially kind of like with the Feywild. It's not as random and it's not as drastic of changes whenever you're in the Shadowfell, but everything just drags out. Yes. And this could be another thing. Do at your table what you will. It could literally be time slowing down and stretching out, or it could just be the perception of time. You know, because everybody's been in that class. (laughs) Yes. That... You've been there for four hours and only 20 minutes has come off the clock. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's happened. It has happened to all of us. So that could be an additional complication to figuring out, okay, is it safe to feed this mogwai? Which midnight are we not supposed to feed it after because there's not really a sun and a day cycle in the Shadowfell.
1: Right. Or you could be like in the northern climates. And I don't want to give my DM any ideas, unfortunately. But you could be in the northern climates where you have like the 40 days of night. Or we're playing a current campaign where we're locked under an eclipse. And so this would also be an issue because you wouldn't know, does this count as sunrise? Right, yeah. So...
0: Let's go ahead and talk a little bit about the rules for the Mogwai. Yes. Rule number one is no bright lights, no sunlight. Yes. Um, Because sunlight will kill a Mogwai. Yes. Sunlight will, likewise, kill a gremlin.
1: Yes. And this is exactly why initially Brand went right to Shadowfell.
0: Yeah. And that's also another thing that speaks well for the kobold. Because they have that sunlight sensitivity. They don't do bright light. Right. So that's the first rule. The second rule is don't get it wet.
1: Yeah. Can't get it wet.
0: If it gets wet,
1: that's what causes it to multiply. Right. And so this one is a bit more of a challenge because, I mean, there's not a lot of just outright water spells in D&D. I mean, you have create water Huh. create
0: water, you got tidal wave. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there, there's not a whole lot, but you have
1: lots of spells that do ice. Right. And so that's what I was kind of thinking is all these ice or frost damage spells would cause, you know, the condensation from the air and that's got to melt eventually, right? You would think.
0: So something I mean, like could...
1: Chill Touch or Blizzard or... Well, Chill Touch is necrotic. Okay.
0: But... Uh, Ray of Frost. Ray of Frost. Yes. Thank you. I was trying to think what the gold damage <laughs> cantrip was. And I mean, it could also... If you wanted to rule it this way, it could be super chill to the point where it doesn't melt, it just sublimates. Yeah. I mean, it could be like dry ice. Yeah. You know, where it doesn't go from solid to liquid, it goes from solid straight into gas. Right. But yes, that could be a very critical sort of consideration to make. One thing that I would do if I was just an absolutely terrible human being (laughs) is... Or DM. Or DM. (laughs) Uh, is have them attack the party inside of a building while it's raining outside. Yeah,
1: I was going to say rain. Weather effects are something that is within a lot of the modules, but is largely overlooked.
0: Yeah, and there are things like control weather Mm -hmm. where, you know, you are able to make it rain. And if, you know, you get one of these things out in the rain, it is going to start just perpetually multiplying. Because as we have seen from the movie, they don't follow the law of conservation of mass. No, absolutely not. So they just sort of spontaneously generate mass. Yeah. So they will continue to produce more and more as long as they keep staying wet.
1: Yes. Which, I mean, again, this kind of gives me your story hook is maybe your party is sent to save one of these things. Maybe they are kept as a pet or a companion for some noble or some high lord or some wizard and they've lost it. And so you go up to where your big bat is and they have it in a chamber or a stasis where they have water constantly dripping on it. Or maybe it is constantly raining on this thing. So they're just kind of multiplying like tribbles. Again, going back to an even older reference. Right. But these things are just multiplying, multiplying, multiplying. And then either your party takes one on as a companion or... You've got these ones that are okay, and then you've got the turned ones later that there's also a massive stockpile of those in the background the party doesn't know about yet.
0: Right. And, you know, I could even see a BBEG attacking at night in the rain using these things as shock troops. Oh,
1: yeah, just kind of chucking them out.
0: Yeah, you just, you know, load a dozen (laughs) of them into a cage and fling them across the wall with a catapult. <laughs> yeah. Because of the slapstick nature of them, they will survive it. Oh, yeah. And if it's raining, you know, by the time they land, you're going to have, you're going to be going from 12 to about 60. Yeah. I mean, I could a solid d20 roll. At this point, you roll a d100 every round to see what percentage <laughs> <laughs> multiplication you've got. Yeah, And it's, you know, it's going to be crazy. Yeah. And very quickly, it will turn into a, an instance of
1: you can't
0: fight it just because of the sheer Numbers.
1: volume. Yeah. This um, is where you want cleave and area of effect spells. So many area of effect spells. <laughs> hashtag fireball. I was thinking meteor swarm, but yeah.
0: Well, yeah. Meteor swarm is a ninth level spell. You can only cast it once. Yeah, but it's
1: fun when it goes down.
0: Yeah, but if you have the same 20th level wizard, you can cast, what is it? Four third level, four fourth level, uh, three fifth level, two sixth level, two seventh level, one eighth level, one ninth level fireball. Yeah, <laughs> fair. That's a
1: lot of fireball. That's a whole lot of fireball.
0: Yeah, so that would be a, a thing.
1: <sighs> Sorry, I was just thinking you have a wizard that takes a shot of fireball whenever they cast fireball. That'd be an interesting table to run.
0: <laughs> I do not recommend <laughs> allowing your players to get alcohol poisoning. We <laughs> we do not do that at this table. But anyway, moving on to the third rule. The third rule is don't feed them after midnight. Right. And we've already touched on this a bit. Feeding a Mogwai after midnight is what causes them to go into a pupil stage. And then whenever they emerge, they are gremlins. Yes. Now, in the movie, it is notable that Gizmo, who is the initial Mogwai that we meet, reproduces completely by accident. Yeah. The only actor that I recognized from the film whenever I watched it, which would be a very young Corey Feldman, (laughs) um, knocks over a jar of water and that's how it happens. Yeah, And so all of the ones that are produced from this are very different in behavior from the initial. They're all the very insidious sort of trickster troublemaker types nefarious, I guess would be the term that I'm looking for. And they're the ones that they sabotage the main character's alarm clock to trick him into thinking that it's not quite midnight yet and feeding them because they are intelligent. Yes. But Gizmo throughout is aware of what would happen and is actively taking steps to Keep that from happening to himself.
1: Right. I would imagine Gizmo is definitely a more mature version of these. So you have kind of a self-awareness with, you know, actual maturity. And I mean, there may or may not have been some training within Gizmo's past that they don't touch on. But yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. Because, you know, picks him up from a curiosity shop in Chinatown. Right. Which throws in a whole bunch of... Um, problematic tropes. In itself, yeah. right. <laughs> but once the transformation happens... They go from being nefarious tricksters to being just straight up homicidal maniacs. Yeah. Hooligans. Hooligans. And going through and just absolutely destroying an entire town. As, as they do. As they do. <laughs> but there are a few things that I noticed throughout the movie that will play into how we might bring them to the table. Okay. First one is that they are obviously individually a fairly low CR. Yes. Because the main character's mom with minimal to no preparation is able to dispatch three of them single-handedly without a lot of issue. Yeah, It is only whenever confronted with the ringleader that she starts having trouble. And well, I mean, plot armor is a thing. Yeah, plot armor is a thing. Well, the protagonist has to have a reason to do his heroic thing,
1: right? Exactly. So with that, I'd probably put these at CR, somewhere between CR one-eighth and CR one-half. Yeah, I would say that would probably be... I could see these on the level of, like, a swarm of Sturges. Potentially, yeah. Up to, I think kobolds are a quarter or one-half, if I recall correctly. They're, they're still fairly low on their own, um,
0: I think kobold, per the monster manual... Just the flatline kobold is a one-quarter. Okay. And then there are some variants that get up to like, I think, CR 2 or 3. Yeah. um, Which Stripe, who would be the main antagonist, would fit that sort of ringleader, more intelligent, more tenacious sort of vibe. Yes. They like alcohol.
1: They really do. They really, really do. I mean, they went and trashed an entire bar. Yeah. That's going to make the dwarves so sad. Yeah. Honestly, though, a great hook is maybe some of these as they go through and they've gotten into a dwarven brewery.
0: Or just, you know, (laughs) I mean, the trope is, you know, you start in a tavern.
1: Yeah. And all of a sudden they're they're just coming out of the woodwork. Yeah. Literally.
0: Yeah. They're literally just coming out of the woodwork. You know, you hear a ruckus going on down in the cellar. And let's just say that one of the party works at the tavern and they go down to check on what the noise is. And suddenly
1: they've got half a dozen gremlins bouncing around in the cellar. Yeah, maybe they've turned over one of the wine racks and broken up a couple casks. So the guy goes down there and they chuck a couple wine bottles at him. Yeah. Uh, Them, I should say, but yeah.
0: Yeah. And
1: uh, this could
0: be an interesting thing where... A lot of these sort of establishments, like in modern times, you know, they have a wash up sink. Yeah. You have a hand washing station. You have a mop sink. You have all of that stuff down there. So there is water. Right. Down there. Yeah. And so it would not be unreasonable to think that whichever one is the ringleader is intentionally starting to multiply. Yeah. Because, I mean, again, in the movie stripe breaks into the ymca and jumps into the swimming pool
1: yeah and that's where the thousands of gremlins come from (laughs) i was gonna say i could even see one of these becoming intoxicated and falling into like a mop bucket (laughs)
0: yes (laughs) because that would totally be that would that would totally
1: be on brand yeah it would be no i really like this and this is a scenario that i've wanted to run for forever is you know starting a party out minimal armor Minimal weapons, so they're there and just like they're at a tavern, they're at an inn, they're at a feast or something, and just all hell breaks loose. And it turns into basically a glorified food fight. And, you know, plates are flying, you're using your knives and your forks as improvised weapons because that's all you got. You're throwing tables, you're flipping tables for extra armor and cover. So I could totally see these gremlins running this kind of battle scene. Yeah,
0: (laughs) that would be amazing. Yeah.
1: So I actually had another
0: monster in mind as a potential parallel okay this might actually work better for stripe as opposed to the rest of the gremlins but the nilbog okay so the nilbog a little bit of lore if you look at the spelling nilbog is literally goblin spelled backwards nice (laughs) and they are goblins that have been inhabited by a trickster spirit Um, i'm I'm sold generally happens In instances where goblins are being mistreated. Okay. They believe that they are being chosen by the unnamed goblin trickster god. Ooh. And the reason the goblin trickster god is unnamed is so that Maglubiet can't find and kill it. I love this so far. I am sold. Um, They completely warp perceptions of reality. Ooh. Sometimes whenever they take damage they instead heal. (laughs) Nice. Sometimes whenever a creature goes to attack them, they end up, you know, falling down, praising and worshipping them instead. Dude, I love these things. And because of this, in most goblinoid communities, goblin armies and such, the hobgoblins will appoint one goblin to be the jester. As you do. And the jester is allowed to go anywhere, do anything without reprimand without punishment and that is their effort to appease the unnamed trickster god so that they don't create a nilbog in their army i love this you sow just a little bit of chaos to keep most of the chaos at bay right and so the whole position of jester is typically given to the most obnoxious goblin <laughs> in the group. Okay, and so it is a very highly sought after position because all of the goblins
1: want to be able to just run around and do, do whatever. whatever the hell they want. <laughs> I, I want to be able to run around and do that. I want to be a no. Yes, no, I am sold. Oh. This is up there with Father Bear for me now.
0: <laughs> yeah, and they're they're like a CR one monster, maybe a CR two. I can't remember okay. exactly, but yeah, that's their whole thing. Is you know. Every so often, you'll hit it, and it will actually heal it instead of hurting it. Nice. And if you kill a Nilbog, the spirit just goes and inhabits another goblin. That's amazing. I love this thing. And apparently there was, at one point, or maybe it was just in a published adventure somewhere, a magic item called Nilbog Arrows. Okay. Where if you shoot something with a Nilbog Arrow, it looks like it deals damage to them, but it actually heals them.
1: Interesting. (laughs) Interesting. I love these things. And no, I could totally see, and again, going through with this Nilbog would easily pick up a lot of these chaotic traits of these gremlins and the Mogwai anyway. So yeah, no, that would fit really well. Really, really well. And
0: Nilbogs, per the Monster Manual, are chaotic evil. And so they are not only pure chaos, but they're purely selfish. Oh, I love it. And so they do whatever pleases them. They do whatever amuses them. They do whatever they enjoy doing with complete... Complete disregard for anyone around them. I have my next playable character. (laughs) I am not letting you play a Nilbog at my table, James. Damn it. But, I mean, if anybody at the table could play a Nilbog. That that is true. (laughs) That is true. (laughs) However, I like being able to sleep at night. Fair enough. (laughs) And so, another little aspect of both the Mogwai and the Gremlins within the movie. Something that is hinted at but is never expressly explained or expressly pointed out is their interaction with technology okay because the gremlins the unemployed alcoholic
1: neighbor who's also very racist uh (laughs) again it was the 80s yeah certain things don't translate they don't age well
0: yeah but you understand where he's coming from yeah i don't agree with where he's coming from right but You know, growing up in this particular region, I understand where he's coming from. Given when the movie came out and the actor's age, and so the character's age, he was probably a Vietnam vet. Right. And there was a lot of that animosity, especially towards people from East Asia, during that time, from those people. Right. And that would also explain the alcoholism and a lot of the other stuff that was going on there. Yeah. Not saying I condone it. I'm just saying I understand it. Fair enough. But anyway, his whole thing was that all this foreign technology, all of these foreign things, you know, all of these cars and stuff that are coming in from outside of the United States, they're all filled with gremlins. (laughs) And that's where the name ended up coming from is you know he's attributing all of the malfunctions and all of the breakdowns and all the things that don't work quite the way they're supposed to it's because there's a gremlin in it yeah and i mean and and the the whole point of the gremlin is
1: to be in there to mess with it to keep it from functioning the way it's supposed to right so i mean gremlins go back i know as early as well Probably before, but I know even before it was the Air Force and it was the Army Air Corps. Whenever there was Mm -hmm. anything wrong with the aircraft, they blamed it on, quote, gremlins. Right. And so, I mean, that goes back at least to the 40s. And, I mean, you even have old Looney Tunes that talk about gremlins with the air thing. There's a whole Bugs Bunny cartoon with that. And then you have the very famous Twilight Zone episode with William Shatner with the thing on the wing was, in fact, a gremlin. So, yeah.
0: So, the thing that we see several times is that the gremlins have the innate ability to negatively impact technology. They're able to make things stop working. They're able to turn on electronics right from a distance without actually physically interacting with them, usually in a way that is a suboptimal performance. Oh yeah, and not only that they have an innate ability to identify and mess with Various mechanical aspects of different pieces of technology. I mean, without having any sort of training, they knew how to turn on and drive a tractor. Fair. They knew how to locate and disconnect a brake line. Yes. They know how to turn things on, turn things off. The initial antagonist, before the gremlins really show up and supplant her you know is just this bitch Uh, (laughs) there's no there's no better way to put it she's the miser landlady of the town and you know she's also a crazy cat lady and at one point she's got the little caddy seat that runs down the staircase to get from the upstairs to downstairs without having to walk the stairs and whenever the gremlins first show up at her house She real quick locks the door to keep them out of the house because, you know, the devil has finally come to, it's a very Ebenezer Scrooge moment Yes. until she goes and climbs back on her seat to go back upstairs and suddenly it takes off at like 60 miles an hour and jettisons her out of the upstairs (laughs) window. So that is the thing. There wasn't a gremlin in the house to physically alter it. Right. They're just a proximity. They're just in proximity.
1: And so stuff stops working right. So with this, I'm going to go ahead and invoke, you know, Arthur C. Clarke. And any technology sufficiently advanced is indistinguishable from magic. Mm-hmm. I'm going to sell this one. But for each gremlin within a range, probably within, I'd say within 100 feet, maybe 50 feet, you have a 1% chance to either spell fizzle or whirl wild magic whenever a spell's cast.
0: I think not only that. But I would say, you know, at the beginning of each creature's turn, say you roll a number of d20s equal to the number of gremlins within, say, 30 feet or 60 feet. Okay. And if you roll a one okay. on any of those dice, one magic item on your person just goes off. Okay. Or it can, you know, drain the charges. It can activate all of the charges
1: at once it could that would definitely be for higher level but if we're running like a first second third we're probably not going to have a lot of magic items at that point other than a handful of healing potions right that's true
0: and whether or not healing potions are magic in your system right you know up for debate but i think once you start getting into a higher levels having them be able to just randomly activate magic items that would be fun or you know if you have something like Plus one armor or something, just randomly turn off the enchantment. Yeah. So that would be something that would be a thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. um That would be kind of tricky, especially if you start
0: getting into large numbers.
1: Well, that's why I was thinking if you could just have, you know, a 1% or 5%, depending on how you want to do it, you need to roll a, a percentile or a d20 per number of gremlins and thing. And like I said, either if someone's trying to cast magic, then it's fizzle. So they have like an old like uh, third edition spell resist. Or just roll the wild magic table, because we always need excuses to roll on the wild magic table.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, in our home game, wild magic is featuring very prominently. And so that is something that I absolutely condone. But now getting back on topic. By contrast, and this is less explicit, whenever Gizmo is there, technology starts working the way it's to right the only instance that i can remember where this is obvious is when the protagonist jumps into his car that hasn't been able to go the entire movie the whole thing at the beginning of the movie is he is trying to get his car started and it won't right and so that's where the alcoholic neighbor comes out and starts talking about gremlins (laughs) and as soon as he hops into this car with gizmo It starts right up. Okay. So having a Mogwai, or having at least a friendly Mogwai, Mm -hmm. should ensure that magic works the way it's supposed to. If not extra Um, beneficial. Yeah. It might be a thing like, you know, if you cast a healing spell within 10 feet of this Mogwai, it automatically
1: heals Max. Yeah, I could see that. Um, Or you can, like, automatically up-level one level for a cast.
0: Or, you know, while you're within 10 feet of your mogwai, you never lose concentration from damage. That'd be great. Yeah. You still can only concentrate on one spell at a time, but it doesn't matter if you get hit. You don't have to make the constitution save for concentration.
1: Yeah. No, I like that. Things like that. No, that that would make perfect sense. And so
0: that would be something that I would try and build in. Or, you know, maybe magic items that regain charges on a long rest would instead start to regain charges on a short rest.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Or if you have to roll to gain your charges, you just automatically gain max charges. Yeah. The other thing, too, is a lot of those devices that, you know, if you can roll, like if you roll a 1d20, if you roll a 1, the magic is destroyed. If this Mogwai is present, that's not an option.
0: Yeah, I think so. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, these all would be great beneficial. and They're subtle. They're not overly strong handed. But definitely would be a huge benefit.
0: Yeah, and they're going to be situational. Yeah. Because if you don't have a magic item with charges, that's not a thing. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things, like, say, whenever you cast a damaging magic spell where you have to roll dice, you get the empowered spell meta magic on it where right.
1: you, you re roll all the ones and you take the new roll. Yeah, that'd be a great meta magic just to have, just innately, like a meta magic aura. Yeah. Or if it's, you know. Oh, that, that's what we need to call it is meta magic aura. Okay. Yeah, we can do that. Okay. <laughs> we have ideas sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> Every once in a while we get a good
0: one. So let's say we're going to create our own Mogwai slash Gremlin. Okay. Uh, we're not going to use a standard monster from the Monster Manual. We're actually going to create our own. Okay.
1: Where would you start? Oh, again, I would have this as it would be a creature from the Shadowfell. film, certainly I would probably be an aberration. As a species type or, uh, you know, a race type. Um, we want Especially it... the Gremlin. Yes. But see, that's the thing is I think the Mogwai is just a...
0: Yeah, I think it's in the same category as the Flumph. Yeah. It's a lawful good aberration. Yeah.
1: We want this fairly low, so it's only going to have a handful of hit die. Probably like one or two hit die. And I'd probably put this... The D4 isn't a hit die anymore in 5th edition, so just a, a straight D6. So, um, probably it
0: would be if it was
1: tiny. Okay. So, tiny
0: creatures have a D4 hit four? die. Okay.
1: So, I'd either say a D4 or a D6 hit die, depending. Um, I'm leaning more towards D4 to keep that CR low because, again, these are going to have a lot of wonky feats and bonuses that are going to stack as their numbers increase. Right. I'd uh, keep your movement speed 30 to 40. These are going to be fairly quick and nimble. So, again, I'm seeing a tiny or small creature. We'll lean towards, let's say, 2D4 for your hit die. Yeah, I think two hit dice sounds about right. Going for your strength, they're not terribly strong, and since they're smaller, I mean, they could do things like pull over racks and tear things down, but they weren't. I'd probably put these at maybe an eight strength.
0: Yeah. Slightly less than human.
1: Yeah they gain
0: their strength by numbers Numbers, exactly and so you know all of the times whenever you see them tearing things apart it's because there's four or five Five of them them. working together to do it
1: i'd even go as low as
0: six but i think eight would work yeah i think eight works well decks decks are i think they're gonna be reasonably decent
1: they are fairly nimble i mean they can dodge they do you know dodge and scatter out of the way of danger and damage frequently I'd put these probably somewhere between a twelve and a fourteen.
0: I'm thinking a twelve because okay. they're they are quick, yeah. they are nimble, but they're not superhuman. No. So yeah, they're just you know like anybody who has tried to catch a toddler. Yeah, <laughs> um, fair enough. That is what we're what we're getting at here. Con oh, they're gonna have a decent con score. Yeah, they are gonna have a decent con score. I'd probably um, put
1: that at a thirteen or fourteen
0: yeah'm I was thinking somewhere around the 1415 15 okay. range to quote the country song if you're gonna be dumb then you gotta be, be tough, tough.
1: exactly <laughs> intelligence they are intelligent they're not super intelligent I'd, I'd put them at a, a solid 10. um yeah I mean they don't show any real ingenuity I mean they have their innate relation with technology and magic in this case yeah stripe is going to be the exception but yeah he's an individual right the creatures
0: as a <laughs> whole aren't terribly bright right actually i would even go so far as to give them like an eight because they are kind of slapstick no i get that yeah okay it's
1: beware the strength of stupid people in large masses
0: yeah (laughs) sort of wisdom score i think wisdom is their dump stat honestly yeah Yeah.
1: (laughs) they they have i mean very little situational awareness
0: very little situational awareness and also i guess it's the whole naivete of it you know they lack any sort of self-preservation. Yeah, they they absolutely just fell off the turnip truck. <laughs> <laughs> so I would say like a five or a six. Okay, yeah, I'd do a six. And then charisma. I mean, I'd probably put that around average. Yeah, uh, their appearance lends them being terrifying. Yes. So they invoke fear, which is a charismatic
1: thing, thing right?
0: But they're not really imposing enough to.
1: I think the the thing is they are more startling than scary. Yes, though I would say again, Stripe is going to be different. Stripe's going to have a f- fairly high constitution as your charisma. Your, charisma, yes.
0: You keep mixing up your seeds. I do, <laughs> but uh, yeah, he'll
1: have that higher charisma because again, he is kind of a, a pack leader or a ringleader, and that would take into effect later. Yeah.
0: All right. So what we've got right now. With a con of fifteen and two d four hit dice, so that'd be five plus two, five plus four, nine hit points. Okay. So nine HP. That would be great for a, like a CR one quarter, one half.
1: Yeah, absolutely. They have pack
0: tactics. Absolutely, have pack tactics.
1: They're going to be do I'd say a single attack per turn, either bite or claws, both one d four, either slashing or piercing. Yeah, one attack per round.
0: Absolutely. Especially since, you know, creatures at this low CR don't get multi-attack. Right. Because a single multi-attack can kill a first-level character outright. Yeah. I figured that out.
1: (laughs) Accidentally. Oops. I would say with these, anytime they take any kind of frost damage, you roll a d12 and you produce that many more. Um, I don't know about a d12. Okay, d6. For these... I
0: would say probably even a D4. A D4? Okay. Because just the way that 5e mechanics work, that can get real ugly real quick. It can, but I too, at first level, you're not dealing a lot of frost damage generally. Assuming that, you know, the sorcerer didn't take Ray of Frost as their only damaging cantrip. Yeah. (laughs) Fair. So yeah, that would be a thing. Mm -hmm. Actually, I would say that just, you know... Getting wet with water Water. okay, in general yeah, would cause them to generate 1d4 more. Right. I would even go so far as to say that it stuns them for a round.
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
0: And then at the end of their turn, they spawn.
1: Yes. Okay. Because you have that pupate stage. No, that's if you feed them. Oh, okay. If you feed them, they get the pupate. That's right.
0: It's because it's painful. Yeah. I mean, you can tell from
1: the interaction, from
0: the reactions that they have, you know, Water is painful because it's causing them to grow and sprout these other individuals. Right. So I'm saying that, you know, if you splash them with water, they're stunned for a round. Okay. But then they generate more. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. So I think vulnerabilities, they're going to be vulnerable to fire. They're going absolutely going to be vulnerable to radiant. Yes. Those are the two big ones. Yeah. Um, I don't see
1: them having any immunity or resistances. These are still fairly squishy.
0: They are, yeah. Um, And at this low a level, you don't really need them to have any sort of resistances or immunities. I think they're going to be immune to fear.
1: Yes, they're too dumb to be afraid.
0: (laughs) (laughs) They are, but they're not going to be immune to charm. Okay. Specifically because of the scene near the end where they're all in the movie theater. Yeah. (laughs) They turn on Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And the dwarves are going through singing the hi-ho song, and the gremlins are just eating it up. Yes. They That's are They are enraptured. Yes. And as a matter of fact, Stripe is the only one that is not enthralled by this. Right, And so Stripe is the one that is outside of the theater when they blow it up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like like I said, spoilers for a 40-year-old movie. Yeah. <laughs> So you have vulnerability to fire and radiant. Okay. Immunity to being frightened.
1: Okay, that's fair.
0: They're going to have dark vision. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Probably 120 feet. Yeah. That seems right for the sort of nocturnal creature that they
1: are. I'd give them the metamagic aura. When friendly, you get the bonuses. When not friendly, you have the chance to roll on the metamagic table. Yeah, the,
0: on the wild magic table. Well, yeah,
1: the wild magic yeah. table.
0: And that is going to be a large block of text that yeah. I'll have yeah. to figure
1: out. But yeah, now again do we want to make that feeding rule in there? I mean, if you feed them after midnight, then they automatically become hostile or how would you work that in? See, that's the thing
0: is I don't know that they would automatically be hostile. hostile. Okay. I think that feeding them accentuates the personality traits that they already have. have. Okay. Because Stripe was already that nefarious troublemaker when he metamorphosed, right? Then he became exceedingly more antagonistic.
1: So feeding them after midnight would increase their metamagic aura, perhaps? Yeah. Give them a higher chance to go from like a 1% to a 2% or a 5%.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's where we go from our percentile die to our d20. Okay. And that would
1: be... Yeah, that'll be something to figure out. The other thing we need to figure out is how do we determine if they are going to be friendly to the party or antagonistic? I mean, I think that's... Just a DM call. call? That's just
0: a DM call. Okay, that's fair. And I think that it would be great to... You know, you start off by introducing them to a friendly one, and then they find some not-so-friendly ones later on. Okay. Where they assume that they're going to be friendly. But it's a tarp. (laughs) It's a tarp. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, I think this would also be a thing where not only is it going to be don't feed them after midnight, but if you have some of these more antagonistic ones, the ones that want to change because, you know, the gremlin is going to be more... Tenacious yeah. than the Mogwai. Yeah. More capable. I think that would be an instance where you end up as a role play thing having to figure out food security. Yes. Like it's sitting there
1: trying to rummage through your bag looking for some yeah.
0: granola or something. Yeah,
1: because if you're
0: not paying attention, they're going to get into your bag and eat your rations. Yes. Okay. You know? yeah. And no, then I love you that. don't have to feed them, they fed themselves. So, I love this.
1: I'm just saying we need to do an actual play Christmas episode. <laughs>
0: Yeah, we'll find somebody. We'll find somebody and do a Gremlins Christmas episode. (laughs) That sounds like a lot of fun.
1: But yeah, I think we did good. Yeah, Uh, no, this has a lot of potential to be a lot of fun. Again, we made a fairly beefy, scary, high-end monster last episode. This, again, can be fun, but still, you don't have to go level 15, 17, 20. You can do some fairly low monsters that are still really interesting and a lot of fun.
0: And this one in particular lends itself well to scaling. Oh, absolutely. I mean, all you have to really do is... More numbers. Yeah, more numbers and, you know, throw a couple
1: extra hit dice on them. Maybe bump up their damage just a little bit. Oh, one thing I do want to add with their stat blocks is absolutely they have proficiency, if not expertise with traps. Okay. I'm not entirely
0: sure how we're going to work that in, but I would give them proficiency with improvised weapons. Yes, that too. So they would be able to do that. I I really like what we have right now. So thank you all for (laughs) listening. If you have any comments, suggestions, or ideas, please send us an email under at gmail.com or drop it through the slagged <laughs> mail slot over at our Twitter account at UCT Homebrew. We are also now on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Twitch, Mastodon, and Blue Sky. Woo-hoo. We're at undercommon taste on all of those. Um, I was very happy that whenever I got over to Blue Sky, I had enough characters to do at under The only reason I didn't do that on Twitter is because Undercommon Taste was one character too long. Dope. And I didn't want to be undercommon taste. Fair enough. (laughs) If you like to help support the show financially, you can come over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash Undercommon Taste. That's where our write-ups go. We are working on some more Patreon-exclusive content at the moment. Uh, You can also find us on itch, itch .itch undercommontaste.itch.io. I always get those mixed up. That's where you can find our liminal horror adventure Beneath the Lake or my solo RPG Forever Home. That is where we will soon be having our first D&D adventure uploaded. We are working out finally to get Of Mice and Meta Monsters get our schedules lined up to where we can actually do our actual play that we told you about two months ago. (laughs) One of their cast members had some crazy stuff come up with work, and we have had to postpone it. Life does happen. Life does happen. He says that he's going to be available hopefully November 1st, so we're going to be getting there. So the day that this episode comes out, he should be free, and so we should be able to try and schedule something. Huzzah. I'm really looking forward to playing with that crew, that cast. I think we're going to have a whole lot of fun. And I, I really look forward to showcasing the adventure that James and I have come up with. Yes. And so hopefully fairly soon we'll have that up on our itch store as well. Finally, we are on Discord. You can find a link to the Discord in our show notes. And actually, if you want to send us suggestions or ideas, dropping a line in the Discord would probably be the easiest way to actually get in
1: touch with us. Yeah. Um, If this is your first time listening, thank you. Welcome. I hope you enjoyed the show. You can find our other podcasts wherever you listen to podcasts. or on Apple, Google, Spotify, iHeartRadio. As always, please give us a rate and a review. This helps increase our visibility and lets us know what kind of content you want to hear more of.
0: Stay safe, everyone, and we will see you all again in two weeks. Happy gaming. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Under Common Taste. Our theme song is Massacre Anne, written and performed by Mary Kroll and used with permission. You can find Mary online at marykroll.bandcamp.com or on Patreon at patreon.com slash Dr. Mary C. Croll. Our logo is by David Sutherland. You can find more of David's work on deviantart.com slash davidsutherland or on instagram.com slash willx underscore 73. We'll be back in two weeks, so stay safe and we'll see you then.